Hi there, I'm Liz, and welcome to The Growlery. This is a space all about having fun with critical thinking, maybe hearing a different perspective than yours, and getting a few laughs in, because thinking about things is far too important to be taken seriously. Here we discuss and think through the media artifacts this crazy, unstable world produces. From books, movies, music, video games, and for today's topic, we're talking about Maya Kobabe's controversial memoir comic, Genderqueer. So again, hello and how are you to any new and returning listeners? Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope you're doing well, enjoying some fresh air, and taking some moments to de-stress, you know, time for yourself, and just know that I'm grateful that you're here. So I was looking at the Pen America website, which is linked in the show notes, and Pen America, for those who don't know, is a nonprofit organization about defending the freedom of expression, especially in literature within the United States. But anyways, I was making my list of banned books that I intend on reading through throughout the course of this podcast, and I looked at an article for the 11 most banned books for the 2022 and 2023 school year. And after scrolling through this list, I stumbled upon the fact that Sarah J. Mass's A Court of Mist and Fury, which is the second book in the Accord of series, was on that list, which, you know, gave me a little pause because it's not like the first book in the series was on this banned list. It was the second one. And I did read this series and big shout out to the LA County Library and their supply of audiobooks because that was really the only way that I was going to be able to make it through the series, which I think goes without saying that I'm not a fan of this series. I was just curious because I know some people that truly love this series. And honestly, I would like to hear from them and their take on what they feel makes the second book so much more scandalous in comparison to the rest of the series. And if you have thoughts on A Court of Mist and Fury getting banned, you know, DM me on Instagram at growlery underscore pod or send me a message about it via my website and you can take a look at the email in the show notes as well. Definitely would love to hear the input. So before I dive into talking a bit about the author, I just want to thank Maya Kobe for creating this comic and for being so open about our experience. Putting your life out and presenting it for the world, regardless of who you are and what you identify as, can be a scary experience because you're opening up yourself for that criticism, but it also can be such a magical experience that you can make that connection with your reader when you are so vulnerable and open. I saw things in this memoir that reminded me of my family. Recently, my step-parent began her transition, and every moment that I read this, I couldn't help but think of my sister, who I wish lived long enough to have something as wonderful as this comic. So, you know, without crying, thank you very much. In my second episode about the Lady Chablis memoir, and if you haven't listened to that episode or read the doll's memoir, please do. She has some recipes in there, and I do love myself a cookbook. But anyways, I talked about how I felt that it was always weird when I see reviews on someone's life and their life story, mostly because it's not in my personal nature to judge or criticize a person for how they experience their life. Also, this genre is not what I typically read. I'm definitely a more sci-fi fantasy person, so I'm definitely reading out of my comfort zone. 
But we all live different lives and have different thoughts and opinions. And I love and find that absolutely fascinating about the world we live in. And I believe that it should be something that we celebrate, critically thought about, and help to make people more well-rounded in their opinions. So let's talk about Maya Kobabe. Kobabe is an American illustrator and author from the Bay Area in my home state of California. Kobabe uses Spivak pronouns, which for those who don't know, Spivak pronouns are gender-neutral pronouns that are E-M-Air. Fun fact, these pronouns are derived from the usage on like virtual communities like Lambda Moo and from a book called The Joy of Text by Michael Spivak, which Michael Spivak is where the name for the pronouns came from. But back to Kobabe. So Kobabe's website is linked in the show notes where you can find all of Airwork and contact information. Airworks focuses on gender, sexuality, queerness, and pop culture. While he has made a lot of works in the way of short-form comics and illustrative work, again, all that can be found at our website. Gender Queer is our first full-length comic, which I was trying to find the answer to what makes a graphic novel full-length, and the answer that I found was at least 30 to 64 story pages, which Gender Queer, at least my copy, has 240 pages. As a quick distinction, as I know I'll probably say comic more than graphic novel and kind of use them interchangeably, a quick definition of the two is that graphic novels contain an illustrative component but complete narratives, while comics are usually small illustrative excerpts or like a serialized narrative. So with that distinction laid out, let me tell you a little bit about what Gender Queer is. Gender Queer is a memoir about Maya Kobabe's life and path to identifying as non binary and asexual, and was published by Lionforge Comics slash Oni Press in 2019. Also, the coloring was done by Phoebe Kobabe. This comic was written as a letter to our family and extended family to describe how he identifies. What's unique about this story is that Air family is very accepting, but this comic takes you through the moments in Air childhood into adolescence and adulthood where E questions who E is and what it takes to start living in your truth regardless about what a heteronormative patriarchal society dictates you should be. In 2019, it was nominated for Best Graphic Novels for Teens list from Y-A-L-A. In 2020, it won the Alex Award and Stonewall Honor. Then in 2021, a parent at a Fairfax, Virginia school board meeting went on a rant about how Genderqueer was a pornographic book and needed to be banned from the school district. While I couldn't find a video for that particular instance, which is referenced in an article by Kobabe for NPR that I'll talk about in a minute, I have a video of a similar situation, which is linked also in the show notes, so you can watch for yourself and see the opposing sides. I get kind of upset seeing things like this or when a parent files a child endangerment charge against a teacher with the police over letting a kid read a book. That news article is also listed in the show notes. And with that said, while I have my own opinions about how I feel 
being against censorship and not banning books in schools. In my pursuit of trying to understand the other side, I have been looking into lists of quote-unquote approved books in different school districts, and I'm researching more into that to talk about it in possibly a later episode. But apparently Beowulf, Shakespeare is a Midsummer's Night's Dream, and Romeo and Juliet were approved, so I feel like it's a little hypocritical given the quote-unquote parental concerns about other books that have been banned, but I will digress from this. Kobe wrote a short article for an NPR series called Banned and Challenge Restricting Access to Books in the United States. I'm going to pull out a few quotes from this article and share some thoughts that I have. So Kobe writes in the article, quote, The first print run, just 5,000 copies, sold out the week the book was released. As I toured six states and numerous bookstores in 2019, I received only positive, often heartwarming, and deeply moving feedback. People told me they related to genderqueer more than any other book they'd ever read. They told me it made them feel less alone. They told me they had shared the book with a parent or a partner or a friend, and it had opened up conversations they'd never been able to have before. And then, fall of 2021, a video of a parent railing against genderqueer in a school board meeting in Fairfax, Virginia went viral and sparked an immediate series of copycat challenges elsewhere. Sometimes the challenges were overturned, and the book was returned to the library shelves. Other times, the book was banned and removed. Several conservative politicians made book banning a major talking point of their campaigns. There were so many challenges in quick succession before the end of the year that I literally could not keep track of them all. I was getting so many interview requests that I could easily have turned into a full-time public speaker with no time to write. In spring of 2022, the ALA announced that Genderqueer was the most challenged book of the previous year, taking the top spot from another book about a trans young person written by a non-binary author, Alex Guino's Melissa. Very shortly after this, another Virginia Republican sued Barnes Noble, claiming that my book was quote-unquote obscene, end quote. After this passage, Kobabe talks a bit about the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which is a nonprofit organization to help protect the First Amendment rights of comic artists, realtors, publishers, librarians, and readers. They offered to represent and support them through this wave of bans, but it's insane to me that the same people, mostly conservatives who hold the Constitution in the same regard as they hold the Bible in the United States are the ones to deny rights, like freedom of speech and assembly, to others they don't agree with. But to me, what Kobe is describing here is the snowball effect and the progression of banning. Because just as much as these parent groups want to say, oh, it's just in our schools and with our quote-unquote taxpayer dollars, which is a whole nother can of worms to talk about, but because of these views and sentiments, these politicians like the Virginia Republican Tim Anderson, who sued to have realtors get parental consent before a customer could purchase a book that was deemed obscene or inappropriate, even though what's inappropriate is a subjective opinion and completely silences writers' voices and their right to make a living off of writing, and even young readers who may not have that support at home to get access 
to the information that may help answer their questions about themselves or even the world around them. Thankfully, a judge deemed that this decades-old Virginia code regarding obscenity with books and private institutions found distributing books deemed obscene would be found criminally liable was unconstitutional. Because beyond the free speech argument, it's more governmental control over private institutions, which is very much in contrast with the principles of America and American business practices. Also, it violates the due process clause because there is a judgment being passed, like criminally liable, it's obscene, it's bad, without having the ability to notify the affected parties. So like the author, the publisher, the person who purchased the book, the people in business that are facilitating the marketing of the book, things of that nature. Kobe then ends the article with this, quote, I am trying, as Robinson advised, to take all of this, if not a compliment, at least a kind of testament to the strength of my work. Being the author of a heavily challenged book is stressful, and it wastes a lot of my time, but it puts me in very good company. I never expected my book to sit on lists besides Beloved, To Kill a Mockingbird, The Hate You Give, Speak, and Of Mice and Men. It still feels vaguely surreal. And I'm sure I haven't processed the ripple effects I will feel for the entire rest of my career. For now, I'm strengthening my commitment to continue writing stories centering trans, queer, and non-binary characters. Certain parts of the country may be fixated on censoring me, but I will not be censoring myself. End quote. For more thoughts and explanations about genderqueer or this situation with censorship, from Kobabe, I have linked a few interviews and videos in the show notes, so please do go listen and check those out, as it's always better to hear from the mouth of the author about what's going on in our own situation. This memoir is targeted to the 12 to 18 years old age group, which does make sense in my opinion. It's the time period that children are going through it. Puberty and coming into your own identity is a rough process, and the questions are going to start swirling. To be completely honest, I think this book is great for older adults as well to maybe find something relatable that they've never had before, or even understand what someone else might be going through in their lives. However, I understand that quote-unquote new things and quote-unquote new ideas and I use the quotes because in all of my research of history, I this isn't a new thing. Queer people are not new. It's not a trend that just recently came out. Like, it's, it's been around for a while, so just saying. But I do understand that if it's not your immediate lived experience, your perspective on things, it can be hard to have compassion and understanding. And it's scary to even pick up a book that may challenge and even make you start questioning some things. This, in my opinion, doesn't excuse mean or harmful behavior, but I understand that it is human nature to fear and react defensively when new things enter our environments. But just know how someone chooses to live and identify doesn't have anything to do with you. And it shouldn't because it's not your life. 
And if you're worried about the kids and what they identify as or the frankly ignorant term of indoctrine them into whatever you're afraid of, why not allow them to question, have open access to information, and then you both have a meaningful conversation about it? Again, that's my opinion. With all that, let's talk about genderqueer. The memoir opens with how this whole entire book came to be. So in 2013, Cobabe went to the California College of the Arts for an MFA in comics. And during an autobiography course with the instructor, Mari Naomi, who is known for works like Kiss and Tell, A Romantic Resume, the Life on Earth trilogy, and many more. And I have their website linked in the, in the show notes. But during this course, I assume was an assignment to list your biggest secrets to get a story going which is really great advice if you're looking to write something new. So I wrote that tip down right away. See that little pun there? Anywho, the tone then changes when Kobabe is struggling to get something down and the instructor says, quote, try writing down things you consider your demons, end quote. In the next panel, Kobabe starts writing down a little list. And this little list includes girly clothes, getting my period, swimming, bathing suits, boobs, and realizes that these ideas are all revolving around gender. Initially, E is embarrassed by the work E did for the class, and E tried to cover up the project with like some paper and tape. And I get goosebumps thinking about this next panel. E rips the covered page to reveal the title of Genderqueer. Wonderfully executed. But it's a nice little reminder that just because an idea wasn't working for you at one point doesn't mean that you throw it away. Just, you know, store it and revisit it at a later time because you never know that it might eventually become a masterpiece. So I'm going to run through a few topics that grab my attention. This memoir is full of amazing topics and beautiful illustrations. So I highly suggest you check it out for yourself. As with all books, you, you will take away the things that you feel are important for you from the story. And this is just what I'm sharing as my takeaways from the story. First, I found the portrayal of the socialization of gender very well done, where it seems so innocuous and it's almost subconscious. So to describe and get the full picture of what gender by way of socialization means, I have a link in the show notes of a course through CUNY that lays out a great summary of what this whole concept is. But to break it down, socialization is just a term for mixing socially with others, and by doing so, in theory, you learn how to behave appropriately, learn the quote-unquote unspoken rules of society. Basically, you are learning what is acceptable and not acceptable by talking and being around others. In this way, gender roles and rules are learned. The binary of male and female has been how the Western world, which has historically been under a patriarchal mindset, has organized gender to impose rules based on those genders. For example, these binary gender roles and rules will include men are the providers or they are physically stronger than females. Then females are supposed to stay at home and raise the kids or 
are supposed to just look pretty. Now, I mention this because this has been the way of thinking for such a long time, and it still persists, even though I don't believe gender has ever been a binary concept biologically or psychologically, but that's my opinion. But the ways in which the binary mindset is rooted in this society and the laws imposed by the government and even religiously, and this is not a dig at religion, but people in the Christian-based religions have cited stories such as Adam and Eve to justify the idea of having only a binary, among some other stories. But the mindset is passed down from the parents to children. So when Kobabe goes from basically living off the grid in a small bubble with air family and air neighbors, into the first grade, Kobe is told that he can't play with her friend Galen and the other boys because he is quote-unquote a girl and has cooties. Which cooties, like a whole other discussion, but typically the binary of boys and girls will accuse each other of having cooties to create that separation and distinction that you are a boy or you are a girl and claiming that the other has this like gross affliction or infection and you can't associate with them. Hopefully I explained that right. A part that really stuck out to me that I feel falls in line with this socialization of gender was when our third grade class went on a trip to a river and all the kids jumped in to go swimming. And our dad was a chaperone and took off his shirt to sit in the sun. And as a kid, you know, he looked at our dad and felt like it was okay to do the same. But the kids in our class noticed that he was without a shirt and they had gendered air as a quote unquote girl. So they made fun of him and the teacher came to intervene to have Kobe put back on a shirt. So what's interesting is that I actually had a very similar experience to this. Probably around the age of five or six, you know, I I then and now identify as female and my pronouns are she, her. But I remember this time my mom had taken me, my brother, and my sister to the beach and I didn't have a swimsuit. And my brother just went in with his shorts. He just took off his shirt and went running. And I don't think my sister went into the water because I don't think she liked the beach at all. But I wanted to also go in the water too. And my mom told me to just take off my shirt and go. And I distinctly remember my mom saying, quote, no one is going to care or notice, end quote. I should mention that my mom is from Chile and didn't grow up in America. So she grew up with a different mindset and we were poor. So we made do with what we had. But from what I remembered, she was right. No one noticed and no one cared, which in thinking about it at the at a young age before puberty, you don't have the boobs and, you know, even little boys have long hair. So who's really going to know the difference? <laughs> Look, I'm not suggesting anything by this story. This is just a little anecdote from my life and my experience uh, should not be taken as advice or I'm not saying that everybody should do this. Obviously, if you're a parent, do what you feel is best for your kid. And that's that. And, you know, I, I do realize that in my situation, I was around a bunch of strangers, which is definitely a different environment from people who know you and have already ascribed some kind of opinion about you, like what happened in Kobabe's case. 
And now that I do have the boobs and I have socialized into society and understand that there are some real creeps out there that don't respect personal space, I don't go without my top covered. As if that even helps, but I digress. But for Co-Babe, these are foundational moments where others made him feel ashamed for existing or not performing air socially ascribed gender appropriately. There's a quote a few pages later that I feel really drives in that point with, quote, everyone around me, but especially girls, seem to have access to information I lacked, end quote. There are two pages in and my copy, those pages are 23 and 24, where Kobabe describes air parents and the message that is written for these pages is, quote, Neither of my parents were interested in enforcing gender roles, either on themselves or me, end quote. So the perceived lack of knowledge that Kobabe is talking about is the lack of knowledge of the socialized gender roles. There is an example about how a girl at a birthday party was showing off her shaved legs, but he didn't have shaved legs. For that girl at the party, and I'm assuming because there's no further information, probably her parents allowed her to shave her legs because it's something that is socially expected of a girl to do. But Kobabe's mom didn't shave her legs. So the previous statement is true that there would be no reason for E to know that shaving your legs is socially expected for a girl. My point is that these pages show a frustration that I think everyone at some point has felt. Like, why don't I fit in perfectly into this box that I'm expected to be in? Why don't I know how to do what the others know how to do? That questioning is a normal part of growing up and becoming who you are. Growing up, or coming of age, so to speak, is not easy. It's a lot of introspection that's happening at that time that I personally feel should be met from adults with compassion and not shame. The next part I want to share is probably my favorite visual part and also the message, which I feel is like the crux of this memoir and is just lovely when you have all those elements together. So in my copy of the book, it's pages 65 to 67, and it comes after the first encounters with having sexual fantasies and exploring that sexuality, which at the age of 12 and up, to which this book is marketed to, those things actually are happening and the questioning of sexuality comes to the forefront, whether you like it or not, because of the possibly worst period of growing up called puberty is happening and the body is changing, things are growing, the hormones are raging, and I feel it's important to let kids know that it's okay to feel and think these things and it's not a taboo topic or something that is off limits to be talked about or even something to be ashamed about, but unfortunately that really isn't the case for many kids. But back to the topic at hand. On my page 65, there's an illustration of a moon with the female gender sign in the left-hand corner and a sun with the male gender sign in the right-hand corner. Beneath are two trees, one on the right side has no leaves and the one on the left has leaves. Then there's a tiny sprout with a gender-neutral sign just below it, like a seed. The passage between the trees on the page reads, quote, My deepest emotional relationships have always been with women. Did that mean I was lesbian? But my sexual fantasies involved two male partners. Was I a gay boy trapped in a girl's body? End quote. Then underneath the sprout, the passage reads, 
quote, the knowledge of a third gender option slept like a seed under the soil, end quote. Then on what is my page 66, the sprout from the previous page now has more leaves. The narration on the page says, quote, this seed put out many leaves, but I didn't have the language to identify the plant, end quote. Then each of the leaves has a small statement, and I will be reading from the bottom right to left to the top. So, quote, I never want kids. I wish I had short hair. I never want to have sex. I hate my breasts. I wish I was a boy. I feel like something's wrong with me. I wish I had a gender-neutral name. End quote. Finally, on my page 67, there's an illustration of a half-male body in like a yellow, like a pale yellow, in a half-female body in like this, pa- in a pale blue, holding up in their hands a little sprout. The narration on the page reads, quote, In high school, I began to theorize that I had been born with two half-souls, one female and one male, end quote. I love these pages so much because I feel like Kobabe is capturing not only just the internal struggle and battle to understand herself, but the fact that there is very little language to describe the feelings that he is having. The binary of male and female is so strong that even when trying to describe the sexual fantasies, that even that language that he grew up around and was socialized with can't quite articulate what is happening internally. It's a thought that is buried like a seed and through time is going to grow and change until it becomes a fully realized tree. And with more books and authors that are coming into this space to represent the LGBTQ plus community, that language can develop and it can become a whole lot easier for kids who are going through this internal struggle to try and articulate what they're feeling, it can help them. And it provides that information and further enriches our language. But that's why I feel it's so important to talk about these books, especially when they become banned, because it's taking away the acceptance. It is taking away the normalization of these feelings that are 100% completely normal and you should never feel ashamed to feel. So yeah, much like ourselves, we are going to explore and keep growing, learning new words to describe ourselves and the world around us. Like when transgender enters co-babe's vocabulary before the high school years, and there's another struggle of questioning through if transgender applies to co-babe's current understanding of air identity. To transition to the next topic, I want to end this section with the quote from Kobe written in 2004 at the age of 15. Quote, I don't want to be a girl. I don't want to be a boy either. I just want to be myself. End quote. And I feel that sentiment really is kind of like the moral of the story, if you will. I I think it's very simply put, it's very eloquently put, and isn't that what we want for everyone, to just be yourself? Later on, there's a conversation that I thought was really interesting, and it's the part when Kobe's aunt Shari, who is described as a lesbian feminist, says 
this after Kobabe asks her and the cousin who is present for this conversation to start using air pronouns. Quote, your happiness is very important to me, but I have a hard time seeing this trend of FTM, which is female to male, trans, and genderqueer young people as something other than a kind of misogyny, a deeply internalized hatred of women, end quote. After this comment is made, Kobe depicts their internal conflict as these like scribbly lines of feeling like a broken mess when it comes to how he identifies their gender and sexuality. The comment made by the aunt is an interesting perspective, and I honestly haven't heard that perspective before, and in my brain, the little hamster wheel is trying to figure out the rationale behind it, and I guess it's this idea of kind of like seeing it as a rejection of female or anything that is female-related, but it's a hard perspective for me personally to get behind. And I think this comment is really more coming from a place of wanting to understand the situation and getting as much information about why Kobabe is choosing to use gender-neutral pronouns. But I don't feel like anyone who doesn't feel like their ascribed gender is acting maliciously towards another gender group. At least that is my experience and kind of my understanding of this sentiment. And if I'm wrong, please correct me. But in my experience, at least, gender identification is a personal struggle and a personal identification. And these thoughts around identity are something that starts from birth and it's not targeted necessarily at any one person. But my experience, that's what I've seen in the people around me. So I'll leave that there. The last topic I want to cover is about the book Touching a Nerve, Self as Brain by Patricia S. Churchland, who is an analytical philosopher who invented neurophilosophy, essentially, which admittedly, even at the time that I'm recording this, I'm still working my way through this book. I do find it extremely fascinating. But I'm just going to share my thoughts about the passages that Kobabe quoted in Air Comic. So these are pages 200 to 203, at least in my copy of the book. Quote, Normally when a sperm fertilizes an egg, the resulting human conceptus has 23 pairs of chromosomes, either XX, genetic female, or XY, genetic male. In the early stages of development, the sex organs, gonads, of the fetus are neutral, but during the second month of fetal development, genes on the Y chromosome produce proteins that transform the neutral gonads into male testes. Absent this action, the gonads grow into ovaries. Testosterone produced by the fetal testes is released into the bloodstream and enters the growing brain. Small but important correction, once it passes from the blood into the brain, some testosterone is transformed by an enzyme into a more potent and androgen dihydrotestosterone, and some of that is changed into estradiol, which goes on to masculinize the brain. Paradoxal, though it may seem, 
Estradiol, a female hormone, is crucial to the masculinizing development. Biology is funny that way. Finally, the masculinizing of the gonads, making testes, penis, and prostate, occurs before the masculinizing of the brain. Sometimes the masculinizing of the brain does not follow the typical path or may be incomplete in various ways. You could have male genitalia and a female brain. Once we know something about the many factors, genetic and otherwise, that can alter the degree to which a brain is masculinized, it is a little easier to grasp a biological explanation for how a person might feel a disconnect between his or her gonads and his or her gender identity. End quote. And the referenced pages for touching a nerve's the self as brain are pages 132 to 140. I personally have an ebook, so these pages don't apply to me, but if you do have a physical copy, maybe they might line up to around the same pages if you want to check that out. Essentially, gender norms and the binary is a construct of socialization. Hormones and neurochemicals and the way those present in the womb and develop dictate how you eventually grow up, how you feel, and how you are expressing. And I find that absolutely fascinating that within the science of it all, and I'm not going to pretend that I completely understand the terms nor know how to pronounce them properly, but there's this gray area. And when I think about it further, there are people that are intersex, which are those who are born with different sex characteristics, such as genitalia or chromosome patterns, etc., and how harmful the social construction of that hard binary of male and female is to the biological body of those who are intersex. For instance, there are children that suffer genital mutilation and procedures to quote-unquote correct the gender. In addition, there can be ridicule and bullying because their bodies don't physically fit into that binary. Breaking down that binary to represent those that don't fit into the into the boxes is important because the reality is that gender is not an either or. It's a collage of biology and society. And to me, that collage is beautiful and should be celebrated, not shamed or ridiculed. It's literally just the way you were born to be. So there are other topics that I do feel are extremely important, like gender dysphoria in regards to genitalia and experiencing things like period or having to undergo a pap smear exam that definitely made me think like, yeah, you know, I I hate those things too. But specifically, if you don't identify as a female, how absolutely traumatizing it is to have that experience which I feel Kobe did an amazing job in illustrating and writing out those nightmare scenarios of having to get a period and having to muscle their way through a pap exam. How scary that all must be. It's a struggle that I I never really thought about. And I'm very grateful that now I know, which is why I do think gender-affirming care is important and having doctors that are sensitive to that to in order to give the best possible care. Or even the importance of having consensual sex and setting boundaries when it comes to sex to normalize vocalizing saying that I'm not okay with having sex and being respectful of a partner that says that. 
that also, I think, is a really great message for teens and young adults who are experimenting with it, regardless if you think that they aren't. I do understand why this book has been banned and challenged so much, but I respectfully disagree with all of those people. I think there's this notion that kids can't handle these topics or aren't capable of critically thinking about topics, but they can and are living through these topics in real time. Limiting access to information about gender, sexuality, how other people experience the world when kids may have questions about it is irresponsible because having the information available, especially for those kids that don't have the support at home, compassionate conversations and discourse around the topics may help save a life. And that's just my opinion. Currently in the U.S., I don't think anyone would disagree with me by saying that things are getting a little crazy. There has been a huge increase of book bans with groups like the Moms of Liberty and with the presidential election on the horizon. You know, we just got to wait and see and keep on fighting for voices that have been marginalized for way too long to be out in the mainstream. So I encourage you to do your research, to read banned books to support LGBTQ plus youth and just education in America in general, to have open access to education and information and resources. Because by having open access to information and resources, I feel like we can make a more compassionate community. I also encourage you to donate to an organization and probably more importantly, supporting your local libraries, schools, and the teachers. I have some links to national organizations in the show notes, so please take a look and see if any of those causes speak to you. But I do truly believe if you can support your local community, that's the best place to start making change. And if you know of an organization that, you know, I didn't put a link for or you think is really important, please DM or email me. I would love to check it out. You know, while you're at it, don't forget to read Gender Queer. It probably would just take you about an hour of your time to learn about Maya Kobabe's experience. And maybe you can take something meaningful out of it, too. So with that, thank you so much for listening through this episode. So next episode, we are going to be talking about the infamous Star Wars debate of who shot first, Han or Greedo, and how that edit fundamentally changes an entire character arc. So stay tuned. I think it'll be fun. The only housekeeping that I have for you is that if, if you aren't listening on platforms like Spotify, you can find all the episode artwork on my Instagram at growlery underscore pod. Also, I promise that I'm working on transcripts and getting my sources posted to the website and other fun things for the pod. It's just a slow process, but I promise it's coming. And I'm really grateful that you have taken the time to listen to this episode and all the subsequent episodes. It truly means the world to me. So until next time, feel free to discover your gender and sexual identity. Feel free to not let people ban or criminalize human experiences, aka books. Feel free to live in your truth unapologetically because the world is better with you in it. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for listening. Bye!